It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode of the A-List podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag. Welcome into the A-List podcast. I am Kwani A. Lunas, joined by H. Rod Blakely and Gary Washburn. Another week. We have a lot to talk about, folks. How y'all doing? <laughs> I'm doing wonderful, Kwani. How you doing? I'm doing well, Gary. How are you? Very good. Very good. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, everyone's in a good spirits. This is a miracle. <laughs> Let's get it going, Kwani. You run a right, point guard. Of course, of course. So we want to start with the Celtics. Obviously, they had a pretty good run up until their last game against Indy, a blowout loss during the seven-game road winning streak. What do you guys think about that loss? Is it something that fans should be freaking out about at this point? I don't think so. I mean, if it you know, for those of us who watched the game, I mean, Indiana made some amazing shots. Got a bunch of guys that had games that they've never had all season. And the one guy that I wanted to talk about, and Gary, I know is familiar with him as well, is Halliburton. He's the real deal. I mean, if he's not an all-star in the next two to three years, I would be shocked. He's that good, has a great feel for the game, can get his teammates involved, can get his own shot. I'm still scratching my head as to what the hell the Sacramento Kings were thinking when they included him in a deal. And if, to me, if including him would have meant not getting Sabonis, guess what? We ain't getting Sabonis. He's that good. He, to me, he was the best player from an ups, from an upside standpoint in that deal. And, and, and again, I, I, I wasn't surprised at how well he played because I figured in time he was going to be a good fit for them. Knowing that personnel, knowing Rick Carlisle the way, the way I have over the years, they're going to be a team to reckon with. Not this year. They're, they're, they're not going to make the playoffs. There's nothing to worry about this year. But in the next couple of years, they're going to be one of those teams that we've got to keep an eye on. I thought that the way they started the game uh, was a concern, letting giving up 18 points in the first 440 of the game just set the tone for the whole game. And they kind of reined it in a little bit once they, 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 could, they were up. 32-27, they looked like they were starting to take control but then some bad offensive possessions and then uh, some bad defensive possessions. And then Sherrod's buddy, O'Shea Brissett, who probably hit three career three-pointers at Syracuse, all of a sudden <laughs> looked like Steph Curry. He hit literally three three-pointers in 68 seconds. I mean, and this is a guy, and I, did my, I looked it up, career-high six, he had had – uh, is he had, had the most he had hit this season in the game was three, so it was just one of those nights. The Halliburton, like 39 footer, uh, what's his name, Jalen Smith, the dude who looked like my man from Sunset Park, 
look at the reference if you don't know it. Uh, <laughs> Kwani never saw Sunset Park, so we'll just move on. Um, literally, that needs to be the new drinking game. Every reference Gary makes to Kwani's age. Yeah. So Jalen uh, Smith <laughs> literally gets a rebound and flips the ball up from his midsection. It goes in like it was just, and then and then he adds two more three open three pointers. Like it was just one of those nights, and I I don't want to strictly attribute it to Indiana being really hot, although they were. They're a middle of the pack three point shooting team in the league. They average eleven point eight per game. They hit seventeen, including twelve in the first half. But when your defense is slipping like the Celtics did it in the early game part of the game, I think the Celtics approached this game like listen, they were nine point favorites. Nine and a half point favorites. Indiana's going to lay down eventually. They're not very good. All we got to do is kind of go through the motions here, and they're going to just be what they are. They had not had – there was their second victory against an Eastern Conference team, I believe, since December. Okay. I mean, in the, in the press room, I was at the game. Like, the team employees were like, it's been so long since we won a home game. Like, they were rejoicing. So no one expected this, right? Um, and but there is a reason for concern long term because if you do that slippage against Atlanta with Trey, Memphis again with Ja, John, the boys are coming in Thursday night or Sunday afternoon when KD should be healthy and Kyrie uh has his work furlough and is able to play and, and play on the road and, <laughs> and, and, and cleared up and he's got his paperwork right. Uh, you're gonna lose those games. So if I'm the Celtics, learn from that. Understand that you can't get away with this slippage, even against a team that's twenty and forty-one. It was, it was a bad loss, and and then offensively, you know, Tatum was back to his. Let me launch. Let me keep chucking three pointers up until one of them goes in. He was two for twelve. Jalen wasn't quite right. Um, they just didn't have any offensive flow. They were frustrated, and then Indiana just hit a bunch of shots. Yeah, I, I guess that's why I'm not too concerned only because they've shown the ability the last two, three weeks to learn from that, from their mistakes. They, like t- to me, if they have a game like this once every like nine, 10 games, I'm cool with that. Cause I mean, that, that's, that means that they are human. That means that they are going to have nights where just things aren't going to work out. But to me, the, the real question is what can they do coming back from that? Can they bounce back in a way that shows learning growth, all that other good stuff that you're supposed to learn when you, when you make mistakes, They've shown the ability, I'd say, the last month or so to, to be good at that. But to your point, Gary, they're not going to have much of a choice other than to learn from that. Because if you come out and play like that against Atlanta, if you come out and play like that against Brooklyn, if you come out to play like that against Ja and his crew, you are getting your ass spanked. No ifs, ands, or buts about. I don't care if you're in the crib, in the crib, in the middle of 54th and 3rd, wherever. You are going to catch an L if you play like that. And to me, I think... I'm confident that they're going to learn from that, but even that may not be enough to win. But at the very least, they can get back to being competitive each and every night because I just didn't think they were as competitive and had the kind of fight they, they should have had against Indiana. But but to your point, again, Indiana, to their credit, they made the most of that. Their guys got shots they normally don't get, uh, and they knocked down a lot of shots they normally don't don't get opportunities to take. Uh, you, you mentioned O'Shea, uh, my fellow Orange, Orange brother. I was shocked. And I wish him the best every time he stepped out on the floor. But I was shocked at the openness that he got and the fact that he had a stretch where he made like three in a row. I don't know if he's made three in a row like ever in his life. 
certainly didn't. I know he damn sure didn't do it at Syracuse. Damn sure didn't do it there. When you get into that kind of flow and you don't find a way to shut that, shut the, shut the holes off when the team is is is, is flowing like that, that's on you. Uh, and the Celtics are supposed to be a top five, top two, top three defense in the NBA. They need to be better than that in those situations. And that was the disturbing thing to me. There were clear guys who had the hot hand, and they didn't really do any adjustments to try to cool them off, but just tried to ride it out. You can't do that. You just can't do that. Speaking of that, he was yeah. on, O'Shea was a 27% three-point shooter his sophomore year at Syracuse. <laughs> Not <final>. anymore. <laughs> so obviously he's worked on his game, but as, as you said, I just thought their focus wasn't quite right. You give up 18 points. I'll just keep repeating that. That was like 18 points in the first 440 of the first quarter. Like that's terrible defense, and that's good shot making. And then I said, you got you got oh, the whole roster was confident, and then guys started hitting. Like I thought the key moment was when Jalen hit that three to cut it to 99-92, and then Indiana brings it back down. Buddy Hill with two defenders in his face, fadeaway three-pointer right. good, quick steal, and then he lays it in. It's a 12-point game, and you're done. And then, you know, my man from Sunset Park uh, hits a corner, hits a side, you know, pocket three, and it's a 15-point game, and that was it. The Celtics knew they were done. And But I didn't like Tatum. I didn't like Tatum's performance. I just thought it was – he's still – he's trying to, like, okay, let me get going here by taking – attack the basket, hit the short jumper, make the pass, quit trying to get your offense going by hitting threes. He took 12. It was too many. Um, I, I had a, a real issue with that. Jalen was just not quite right. And then, you know, got a, his little scrape with uh, Goga, Bataze, and, um, you know, he was upset. But it, it just was a game. And, you know, and I, I mean, you know, Archer Kawani – has her serious thoughts on it, but like it could have been just the back to back. It was a difficult, like I've covered the NBA for a long time. I've never seen a 12 o'clock Saturday game followed by a five o'clock Sunday game. That's never, I mean, you know, that was a strange back to back. Um, and I, I had never seen it. So those guys are obviously tired. Um, and it just, it showed. Yeah. You brought up a really good point earlier when you were talking about the loss in Indy, and I think it's similar to the loss at home to Detroit. They're on this 9-2 record for the month of February, and those two losses were against teams that did have that chip on their shoulder. I was actually in the concourse with someone that worked for the Pistons, and he's like, no, the Pistons are going to win. They need this win. They've been looking forward to just having that chip on their shoulder against a team that's actually playing well. And I think the same goes for Indy. So it doesn't necessarily excuse them having bad losses to those teams. The Detroit one, I guess, isn't that bad. But having those two losses against teams that you're supposed to win, Gary, you talked about it in other episodes where they shouldn't have lost those games. But that's the reality of the NBA. You're going to lose some of those, even the ones that you're not supposed to. So I think that's where I would give them grace, where it's like those teams wanted it more. But the Celtics need to get into that mentality of, all right, yes, we want it more than the teams that are good and the ones that are not as great either. So that's my take on it. <laughs> but Daniel Tice, Al Horford, those two players, I want to get your thoughts. Al had a pretty decent game against Detroit, and then he gets pulled the next game. So what do we think was going on with Al? Al played a ton of minutes. In that yeah. first game, yeah, I played. I think he played like 37, 38 minutes in, in, Which in the is game. Which is home state for the record. I don't know if that played any role in it, but 
Maybe, but they, they yeah. needed him though against Detroit. Yeah, I mean, they they, they really they really needed him that that game. And the I whenever Al plays as many minutes as he has years on this earth, that, I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a good thing because Al Al is at that point in his career where he can give you 20, 25 really, really good minutes. And if you start looking to get him into the low to mid thirties, that's it's depreciating value. I mean, he becomes that nice car that you drive off the lot. The minute you leave that lot, value goes down. Uh, and that and that's no knock on Al. He's a good player, but you knew that he was going to at a minimum play fewer minutes in that back-to-back. And I, I'm just wondering whether this is kind of, you know, the the kind of Ime's way of kind of preparing us for, for just, you know, life for back-to-backs for Al going forward, that he won't play the second game of back-to-backs, um, which to me, I, personally, I think is okay. a great idea because you're going to need Al come playoff time if you have any chance of getting out of the first round. You're going to need him. And as for Daniel Tice, to me, he's an ideal in case of emergency, crack this guy open and throw him into the lineup. Um, he is that insurance policy that, frankly, is an upgrade over what you had with, in his freedom. He can knock down an open three. He doesn't rebound as well as Al, but he do, he's not a horrible rebounder. The biggest issue I have with him, he just doesn't defend at the level that Al does. I think there's a pretty – I think there's a sizable gap there. Uh, but he gives you a lot of the things that are like Al Horford-like, but not Al Horford. And if you got to throw him out there every now and then, okay, you can do that. But let's not make it a steady diet where we got to play him every single game, 15, 20, 25 minutes. They're not at that point yet. And if they do, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, and see. I love Daniel Tice. You know that. Gary knows that. I love Daniel Tice. That's my dog. Honestly, I want to see my dog. I want to see my dog. Sherrod, stop pulling the Charles Barkley. I love Daniel Tice. Gary, that's He's just terrible. terrible. Like you just said. Don't do terrible. that. Don't do That's that. That's terrible what you say, Gary. Don't profess your love for a player, then rip the hell out of him. That's just, don't do that. <laughs> That's being real, Gary. That's I love Daniel Tice, but he can't play defense. Like, don't, don't. Daniel Tice, to me, just, he was not good last night. The reason, like, here's the thing. You had Indiana started two dudes named O'Shea Brissett and then Isaiah Jackson, Okay. Don't know who Isaiah Jackson was, but he surely killed the Celtics on the pick and roll with jump with dunks. That was Robert and Tice's fault. The reason that O'Shea got open at the three point line because Tice, in many cases, didn't run out and challenge him and and close out on him, so he he was open. Then he got confidence. So some of those little things lead to big things. Okay, I mean you're gonna expect. Halliburton to score 24 points. That's not a sin. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon with 21. That's not bad. Brogdon had his moments. He was very good. He was very physical going to the rim, hit a couple threes. But when you you can't let O'Shea Brissett have 27 points in six three, you just can't let that happen. You can't let him shoot the ball and then turn around to the crowd like, I know it's going in like Steph. Like, you can't let that happen. I'm not talking about it's a pride thing. Yeah. You know, that's not something that the bad boy Pistons would allow to happen or whatever. Um, but you have to make defensive adjustments when a guy is hot. I mean, my biggest issue, even in the Black Brad Stevens era, was quit. Sometimes you've got to adjust your defense when the dude is hot. And the Celtics did not. Like last year, that game, um, when Luka, who was shooting 32% from three, hit eight of them, at the garden 
and was just throwing stuff up and it was rainbows and it was land it was it was it was beautiful it was landing and swishing and it was beautiful it was it was magical you got to double him get the ball out the man's hands i'm not saying double shape or set but you got to close out on him if he drives to the basket dribble drives and he did that a couple times and gets a two okay but you leave him an open for three that's such a momentum killer when you're the Celtics trying to rally because they were behind the whole second half. And the key to the game was the midway through the second quarter when he hit those three threes in 68 seconds. Like, bang, bang, bang. You can't have that. And so Tice has got to – and maybe it's a lack of playing time. He didn't play much in Houston. And, you know, he and, and then Sherrod brings up him knocking down three-pointers. He banked in a three-pointer from the top of the key. How much was that worth? Rod, you know how hard that is. That worth? You know how if you made the same shot in the corner, if you made the same shot in the wing, is that more value? Bank, no. no, he banked in a three-pointer from the top of the key. That's something your uncle does. At, at the I don't know how they do math at Cal, but if you make your shot from a certain distance, it doesn't that, matter where it's from. It's that's, something you that, make it. that's something that the college kid does at a contest to win twenty thousand dollars <laughs> in college scholarship. Like that's not an NBA make. That's like they should have just ended the no no basket. <laughs> Let's go. Pacers ball. Like, come on, we ain't wow, gonna, that's how he feels. Like, but Gary, my, you my act as if Tice can't shoot the three ball. The dude, Gary, the dude is a career 33% yeah, three-point shooter. He can't shoot it, but I wouldn't trust him with it. No. Is, Hell no. I like if he's Tice. wide open. Defender. That's kind of that's kind of, Gary. Do you remember what the problem with this team early on in the season was? They didn't trust each other. And they would be like, trust Tice? no, I'm shooting anyway. Come on. If he's wide open, yes, I'm going to trust him. To no, take that you've got to give it to him open yes. because that's what the philosophy is. But if I, I would not trust him behind a three-point line like you would. Even Al, Al's been erratic this season, but I trust Al more than I trust Tice with oh, three. When he's they, done it more. He should another, trust There was more. another play that – a player. A great pass to Tice – he missed a little corner jumper. Like he just needs to be a more dependable shooter, and that, maybe, maybe that comes with more playing time. But I thought not having Al really hurt them in terms of guarding Brissett and Jackson because Jackson didn't do much until the second half when he when they started going pick and roll, and they went right at Robert and Tyus. But Brissett getting off and being like a, a you know he's a four man sh- playing a stretch four and getting. Loose, you can't let that happen, especially when you're trying. I mean, basically, you're trying to win this game shorthanded, tired. So you're trying to just put everything together. If you if you win by one point, that's great. You're just trying to get the hell out of Indiana. Indiana with a win, and you can't have that type of slippage, especially with someone who who's fresh. Like ain't like Tyson's tired. Like you got to have your best effort. Out of those guys, I'm not ripping Tice, but what would you do? Wait, 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 that's a Charles Barkley thing you're doing again. You're ripping I ain't saying I love Tice. No, I ain't saying that like you just did. I'm saying I do. He's a good dude. Maybe, maybe he needs more playing time, but I don't trust him as much. Obviously, as Al, I thought that Ime would play Al maybe 15 to 18 minutes, but I guess he was just like, and I don't know if Al looked at him and said, "Man, I ain't got it today." Maybe that's what happened, and Ime might not say that publicly maybe Al say hey my legs ain't there I need a I need a day and and that's fine he's 35 years old um mm-hmm. but 
you gotta have dependable play, and you can't have so much slippage from the two bigs. And Robert wasn't very good either in terms of of, of covering and closing out on shooters either. Yeah, and I, I would put more of it on Rob than, than Tice because Rob is expected to be out there. And, and when Al's not in the mix, Robert, that's his opportunity to show why so many people think that he's an all-star in waiting, that, that he's going to be that third piece of the Celtics' big three going forward. So I, I to me, it was more about what he didn't bring to the table because, as you pointed out, Gary, the, the, the bigs that, that Indiana had weren't really bigs. They were all pretty much like – basically playing a position up. You had guys at the four who really were threes and guys playing a five who were really like fours and, and, and maybe, you know, long threes. And they still had their way against the Celtics. And, and that that can't be. Rob's got to be better than that. Um, and, I, and again, just like Tice, I love Rob too. But he has to be better than that. I have no issue criticizing him for not playing, bringing his game because he was not as good as he needed to be. And Tice, at best, you could say was average. Which I, I don't think, but again, he needs to be better when he gets opportunities to play more minutes too. So bottom line is you had a lot of guys in this team that didn't step their games up when they had the opportunity to do so against a team that was thirsty. I mean, Indiana, they, they, you got a lot of guys in that roster who are trying to figure out where do I get in and fit in in this whole NBA ecosystem? This is my opportunity to put, put a, make a name for myself. Let me go out here and drop 20 and some change on the Boston Celtics, the number two ranked defense in the NBA. I'm going to show them what I can do. And if I'n knocked down a shot or two and they still leaving me open, what's O'Shea supposed to do? Keep shooting, which is exactly what he did. There's no way he should be six of nine on three points, three point shoot. There's no way that should happen. But it did. It was Indiana's first win over an Eastern Conference opponent since December 16th. Last year. When they beat last year. All their previous wins since then had come against – sorry, they did beat Washington at home on the 16th. So they went two months. They went two months without a win, and then they lost at home to Oklahoma City on Friday – so the Celtics should be a little bit annoyed with this loss because let's be honest, like you, OKC came in and took care of business Friday, mm-hmm. and so and then they beat the Celtics by twenty-one on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's not impressive, but everybody's got a clunker, so it, it all depends on how they react to this. One person who's looked a little better, a lot better for the Celtics is Peyton Pritchard. He had 19 in that game against Detroit and then 14 against Indy. Do you think he's starting to look like a solid rotational player for the Celtics team? Go, Gary. Oh, and let me add, we're going we're gonna to turn this into a game. Are you buying, selling, or renting your statement? <laughs> I'm renting, Peyton. I okay. want to see more. I need to see more. More consistency with the jump shot. More consistently on defense, get a couple steals here and there, um, attack the basket, dish, just do all the little things. But that shot needs to go down. He's going to get open shots. I don't ever see you, – you never see Peyton take a contested shot. That's because they're not afraid of him shooting with the guys out there on the floor with him. That's the way it's supposed to be. He's a second-year player. So, Peyton, knock down those shots. Make teams pay for not covering you. Um, the last two games, he's been solid. Now he's missed some. Um, you know, he 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 had you know a decent game, a solid game against Detroit. 
um, decent last night against Milwaukee, sorry, Indiana. So just I need to see more consistency on renting, but I do think that he's, you know, taking that next step. I'm, uh, if I'm a Celtics, you know, I'm impressed that he has assumed that backup point guard role and made it to where maybe they don't need to go chase one in the buyout market. Maybe that they can be settled with him and then at times Derek White. I'm just happy that this is a harder call to make than it would have been like a month ago or, or three weeks ago. I mean, I'm renting Peyton uh, and I, and I, I have contemplated buying into it, but the problem for me with Peyton is that I don't see this not just consistently enough, but I don't see that edge with him out there. I mean, I don't see him play with like the kind of chip on his shoulder that I hear his teammates talk about. He played with, and I'm like, that's funny. Cause I've been watching him play for 17 minutes now and I don't see no chip. I don't see no edge. I don't see no blood being spilled. I don't see him going at cast. I don't see him doing the type of things that if I'm trying to make that 10 minutes, I'm going to get in the 15 or 20, you got to play with. And, and, and that, that to me, I don't know if he's ever going to be that player. He may very well be a guy that's in that 15 to 20 minute range and can give you solid production. And I'm cool with that because right now, the Celtics, that's all they really need from him is just 15, 20 really good minutes out there. But if he wants to stick in this league beyond just, the, you know, his rookie contract and maybe another contract after that, he's got to bring more to the table. He's got to figure out ways to impact the game in other ways. The one thing I will say about him that uh, has been a, a little bit of a surprise is the willingness that he has to go in the trees, try to get rebounds, try to keep the ball alive, do little things like that, that for someone his size, you don't expect to see. But to Gary's point, he ain't trying to take no shots with nobody in his mug. And he's because he knows what's going to happen. I'm either going to miss or I'm going to get it swatted two, three rows back because you don't got to be you don't got to be Rob Williams to pin his stuff. You just don't. He's not. He's just not that big. So he's got to figure out how to not only do that, what he's paid to do, which is to knock down open shots, but figure out what else he can bring to the table that can help this team long term playmaking. I would like to see him do a better job with that, but I'm not sure how much growth he's going to have in that regard going forward. But shot making, he absolutely can be, get better and needs to get better if he wants to help this team. Yeah, and I'm renting for the same reasons. You look, like I mentioned, at those last two performances, and if the Celtics could have that consistently, that's all they would need for this team. But if you look at his stats for the last season overall, it's not consistent enough for me to really be sold just yet. But before we move on, of course, I have to give a shout-out to Bet Online AG. They are your number one destination for sports betting needs. Obviously, we talked about football season being done, but we are right around the corner from March Madness, of course, UFC, and all the other sports that you enjoy. So if you haven't done so already, use our promo code CLNS50. That's the first time sound on bonus. And, of course, Shiraz been winning some money there, so I'm sure that you can as well. Because if he can do it, I, I'm sure anyone can. Yeah, so we no money off my college team. That's for damn sure. That that is a good point. But again, bet on or Gary's college team, <laughs> or mine. Or, or Corny's so BC we're, Pigeons. We're not really the Eagles. Types. <laughs> but bet online AG. If you haven't used the code yet, CLNS50. They are where the games begin, and. We're going to go around the NBA because there's a lot going on. When we're not, we're not just talking about the Celtics. We got LeBron James and all the drama that he brings in general. Now, I don't even think it's intentional at this point. But as you both know, 
surrounding All-Star Weekend, one of the bigger quotes that came out from him is saying that he would love to play with Bronny. We already knew that, but he also kind of said he doesn't have to be in L.A. to do that. And there have been reports that there may be some drama with Rob Palinka. He threw a little bit of shade when he gave a compliment to Sam Presti over there at OKC. If you haven't done your research, just go and find a backstory because there's too much to say. But what are your two thoughts on LeBron, the drama? Will he stay in L.A. or is he going to try to make a move so he can potentially reunite with his son in 2024 well, at this point? I think one of the things LeBron is doing is he, he really is kind of laying the groundwork for his departure uh, so that when team whatever drafts Bronny, he can, he can easily pivot that way and people won't feel any kind of – there won't be any negative shade or there won't be much negative shade thrown his way. But the stuff with, with Sam Presti and just some of the comments he made about Sam, that got a little uncomfortable. Now, now the back the backdrop to that was he was asked about one of the Oklahoma City Thunders players, young, young guy, um, who's having a great rookie season. And LeBron pivoted from answering that question to talking about Sam Presti and how he does a great job of drafting players, blah, blah, blah. So that's that's the background. But here's the, here's my issue, though. There came a point in that, that discussion where LeBron's infatuation with Sam Presti got a little uncomfortable. I mean, it's one thing to give Sam his props, but it's another when you go over and over and above and beyond the props. It's kind of like being on a date with somebody and they ask you, what do you think about her? And then you like, she's cute. She's real cute. She's like really, really cute. And then if you, you're thinking like, wait a minute. Hey, <laughs> so I thought he went a little bit too over the top with his with his feelings about Stan Presti. I don't know why Gary, Gary is Gary has Gary on your analogy. You know what I'm talking about. Gary, no, that's real. Gary, what are your thoughts on that analogy that's, about dating? That's real. <laughs> that's real and accurate. Um, <laughs> what you talking about, Willis? Here's my thing. Um, LeBron does nothing on accident, okay? He doesn't get caught slipping with quotes. He talked to uh, – he, he, this is what happened. He, so he did his all-star media availability. He talked for 10 to 12 minutes. He ended it. He just got up and walked away. What, not rudely, but okay, see y'all guys. Like, I've said enough. He didn't say anything controversial at all. Then he got with Jason Lloyd of the Athletic, who covered him with the Cavaliers for years. And that's when he started. He had something to say. He had something on his mind. Okay. Playing with Bronny. Um, the, I don't need to finish my career with the Lakers. Uh, these type of things. I'd be open to returning to Cleveland, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I do think he wants to play with his son. Obviously, that sounds like a neat thing. The last we've seen of this was the Griffies where Ken Jr. and Ken Sr. played together with the Seattle Mariners in 1990, three years before Kwani was born. So she doesn't remember that. So, so uh, or, or it might have been 89, but it was when Ken was 19 and his dad was like 40, right? Because Ken, like like LeBron, Ken, Jr., Ken Sr. had Ken Jr. pretty young. And I think LeBron had Bronny at 20. So it's not – and with LeBron, the way he takes care of his body is not out of the question – the one thing that bothered me about that whole thing is, one, we don't know if Bronny's a college prospect, okay? He's not as tall as his dad. Let's let Bronny play and do what he's going to do. There is no guarantee he's a one and done. Like, let's chill no. on hyping Bronny up. or When Bronny makes 
a, a reverse layup and gets on TV or gets on like, let's let yeah. Ronnie have a normal high school career, then figure out where he wants to go to college because the one and done rule is still going to be in. He's not going to go straight to the league. That's not going to the player association and the league are not agreeing to that right now. So that's not that's going to be after Bronny if they do let high schoolers declare, or if Bronny wants to do the G League ignite unignite uh, ignition league or whatever. If he wants to do that, or if he wants to play a year at Duke or Carolina or Kansas, Kentucky, whatever, Michigan, whoever, Syracuse, you know, whatever. Yeah, Boston College, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He may be related to Bayheim, and if he is, he got a shot. BC, yeah, he'll play. He'll play seven years. There. So anyway, um, Bronny, let Bronny be Bronny and develop his own. If he's a four-year college guy, let him. I think the pressure of like, well, I want to play myself because, like, what if Bronny ain't that good? I saw he's the thirty-fourth ranked player in the class of twenty twenty-three. That's that's the that's unquestionably high-level Division One, right? But that doesn't mean he's going to be ready to jump to the league. As we've seen with Celtic examples, Aaron Neesmith, Romeo Langford, like just because you get drafted don't mean you're ready for the NBA. So does LeBron want to force the issue and just, hey, son, come on out because I want to play with you, even though you're going to be in the G League or riding the bench? Or do you let your son have a com complete his journey the way he should to develop himself the way he should to maximize his long-term NBA career, and maybe that is not playing with dad. So we'll see. I don't. I'm not crazy about Le LeBron putting that out there because I just think that puts a lot of pressure on his son. Wow, I've got to be a one and done. I've got to do this. I've got to play at this level where I get lots of playing time as a freshman, where I'm a all freshman All-American, where I'm leading my team to the tournament because I need to be a lottery pick. Or whatever, so I because you know, so I can play with dad. Now he could play with a second round pick or whatever, but he's already feeling the pressure of being LeBron James's son. That's a lot of pressure, regardless. But now it's even more. We'll see what happens there. Um, but do I think LeBron's open to leaving LA? Yeah, I think he, I think the thing that affects me. That affects me. The thing that gets me and, and, and I think about his long-term legacy, the comparisons to Jordan, is that Jordan didn't jump teams. Jordan spent 14 to 15 years. Now he retired, but came back with the Bulls, left in 98, came back to the Wizards because the Bulls were in horrible condition by the time he wanted to come back. And then he felt like he had to sell, sell tickets. He had part ownership, all of that with the Wizards. He was so invested. He's like, well, damn, let me just go play because we got to make the playoffs. And we like, I got to do something in Washington. I got to put some butts in the seats. Okay. LeBron's team uh, been team jumping. He goes from Cleveland to Miami, Miami, to Cleveland, Cleveland, to LA. Now you're going to be with your fifth team or your fifth, you know, your fifth move. Like, how does that, how does that affect your legacy? Right. Um, I think that, that that maybe when people say, well, you know, he only jumps to winning situations. He doesn't, you know, there's a lot. And because, like, we could talk about now, like, the Lakers are a mess. I watched the game last night, and I grew up a Laker fan, okay? Um, I grew up five minutes from the forum, all that. Everybody knows that, okay? 
I'm I'm kind of disjointed from from the Lakers. I have a lot of friends who are Laker fans. I mean, that's pathetic. Last night, that New Orleans game was pathetic. Like they're not trying, and people are tired. The Rams just won the Super Bowl. Dodgers won the World Cup. You like people are looking at the Lakers like that 19 bubble or 20 bubble championship. That's like we didn't celebrate that. Y'all won that in Florida. Like mm-hmm. we ain't seen that in person. Like people think that's like a a, a, a react like a like a fantasy. Yeah. So that to me, more than anything, will chase LeBron the hell out because this is the thing. LeBron's talking about the draft, but the Lakers use all the draft picks and trade them away to get more veterans for LeBron. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good point. You can't praise Preston for how he yeah. drafts because the Lakers drafted Kyle Kuzma. They drafted Taylor Horton Tucker. They brought in Austin Reeves, the, 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 you know, they brought in Alex Caruso. Um, like they have cultivated talent from the homegrown or from the draft. They've done that. They found young, good young players. And let's let nice thought you talk about when they were bad and they are able to get D'Angelo Russell, Brandon Ingram. You know, let's not talk about those guys who are, you know, Julius Randle. Once upon a time, he was a Laker. Like they've had young talent but they've moved them all away to get more veterans to get LeBron or clear cap space to sign LeBron. So, and, and yeah. bring in AD. So, you know, Josh Hart, I mean, we're talking about, there's a lot of quality NBA players around who are former Lakers. Like the temptations movie. There's a lot of former temps. I mean, for, more former temps than they are temp, real temptations because the Lakers make so many damn moves to facilitate and make it. LeBron have it. Like, LeBron, you can't have it both ways. You can't praise one team for its drafting and cultivating of talent, which he did, okay. which is true. Okay. And then go, well, why don't we do that? They have LeBron, but you ain't trying to play with 22-year-olds who need to learn two to three years. You ain't. Tr- you wasn't trying to play with Brandon Ingram. You weren't trying to play it's with Daniel Russell. Then do still and like, that doesn't oh, work. Will he want to play with his son? If yeah, his son is in development, now you want to play with his son. That's, but, <laughs> you can do that through the summer at the barbecue, though. You don't yeah, need to do different. that in season. Oh, that's <laughs> different. Well, here's here's my here's my issue with with LeBron and the whole plan with with Bronny. Mm-hmm. We've been around enough NBA players to know that that first year in the league, mm-hmm. you're learning so mm-hmm. much that you can't plan for, you can't script, you there's no playbook. How is Bronny going to really fully embrace and learn all the ins and outs of the NBA, the things you do and you don't do? If you got daddy looking over your shoulder, like when you want to go hang out with the fellas who are like in the in, the, in your age range, well, Pop's like, nah, I, I know him. I know he come from. Nah, you don't hang, you don't, you shouldn't hang with him. Is Bronny going to have some friction with Pops? Because, it, listen, it's one thing to live under a man's house. It's another when you live under a man's house and you go to work with that man every day. Now, LeBron, may have his own crib, but you know, and we've been around enough NBA players to know that you're going to spend a significant amount of time with your teammates in this, in that cauldron of, of, of teamwork. And, and you, that's your second family, but now daddy's your first and your second family. How's that going to work? How is, is, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say right now, I hope it works out well. But I don't think it will. I think there are going to be moments where Bronny is going to be like, Dad, back off. Dad, mm-hmm. I need to do Bronny. I don't need to do LeBron's son. I need to do Bronny. And if you're a teammate, 
that it, it get to me, it's a little bit too close for comfort. Uh, I'm hoping that between now and then, Bronny will figure out who he is, what he wants to do, and just be like, I don't really need to go somewhere with my dad. What's yeah. that? You know, and speak, and as a result, maybe speak up for himself because all of yeah. this talk has really been one sided. That's not to say Bronny doesn't want to, but we don't know if he even and wants I'm gonna tell to. You play. Right now, the, the people that, that I've spoken to who scout, who have scouted Bronny, not one of them believes he's a one and done player. Not a one. And they don't now, now get me wrong, get me wrong. They believe that yes, he can he has the potential to be in the NBA. They don't question that. But is he mm-hmm. gonna do all the necessary things and make the type of growth that he has to in one year of college so that he's a, a first round pick or a lottery pick? No one is sold on that. Is it possible? Yeah, but he has not shown the potential to be that just yet. And that is to me, that's the most disturbing part about this because LeBron has put pressure on this kid that he didn't, he he just shouldn't have to deal with. Now all of a sudden, not only do you have to deal with the specter of being LeBron's son, which is a sideshow in itself, but now you got to deal with that's not I'm his son who's supposed to be a first round pick, or I'm supposed to be going in the league after one semester of college because well, my daddy said he's gonna play with me if I do that. That's a lot of pressure on this young fella. Because you better believe once he gets out there balling in his freshman year, that's going to be in his mind every game. I got to do well enough so that I can get to the league. Not because I want to be a pro player. Not because I deserve that, but because this is what my daddy wants. And when you start living vicariously through your children, that's a problem. Yeah. That's a problem. The pressure's so. been on him since the moment he came out the womb and was named Brian. Yeah. I kind of wish he played that's football. Reality. I wish he played another Or, or had a different name, honestly. Yeah, because you are always going to be in that shadow, whether you, whether you want to play basketball or not, whether you want to you have a four year college experience, whether you want to play in the NBA. For all we know, he could have wanted to be an engineer, and now the exactly. track's already set for him as, as to what he has to do and the level of greatness that he has to accomplish. And not even that, if he does decide to do one and done, let's say he really is able to develop his skills, get into the league. Now his entire career is going to be. Well, is he as good as his dad? Was he as good as his dad was at this age? Every year there's going to be some kind of milestone of comparison. And he'll really honestly never run away from it. It's yeah. hard. Uh, baseball has a lot of that legacy. Mm-hmm. Most yeah. most basketball players, like, we don't remember Patrick Ewing Jr., but he was there's a reason a, for that. He yeah. was a player. Moses Malone Jr. There's a G- reason for that. G. Yeah. Gervin, G- <laughs> G- George's son. Um there's a lot of, you know, legacies of, you know, and there's Michael kind of, Jordan kids. Yeah, Mark, Mark, Marcus Jordan played at Central Florida. He was a solid rotational guy in you know, at Central Florida. That was it. He went to the whatever private sector business world, did his thing. And, um, you know, and that's good. You know what? You don't have to be MJ. You're not going to be your dad. That's a thing. Like, you know, the Ken Griffey Jr. was one of the few that eclipsed because his dad had a really solid Major League World Series champion. Ken Griffey had a very good baseball career, and Ken Griffey Jr. ended up being off the charts in the Hall of Famer. But I think, as like Kwani said, there's just a lot of pressure. Who knows what the young man wants? I just hate that all the publicity, whenever he does something, he makes a reverse layup, he hits a jumper, it's on, you know, all. So, like, let the kid be a kid, figure out his own path, if it works out that LeBron is playing with him, and I don't know about, like, the entire narrative of, like, being teammates and traveling and stuff. LeBron at this time will be 40, okay? 
Bronny will be 20. They're not hanging out. They are not kicking it. They're not going to hang out. Like, well, does that want to influence who he does hang out with? That's my concern. Bron is going to be because remember, like, we're talking generational gaps here, okay? Like, Bron is born in '84. Bron is Gen Z, I think. Yeah, Bronny. Bronny. That was before Kwani, right, Gary? After, after me, okay. (laughs) No comment. Bronny is born. In 04, 05, maybe. I, I, he's class 23. Maybe he's born in 05. He might be a year older. I don't know. 04, 05. So all the dudes that's going to be rocking with Bronny are going to be kids born in 02, 03, 04. Like, that's good. LeBron ain't running. LeBron, LeBron ain't playing video games with them. He, he, he's, he's the old man. For, for, the, for the king. Yeah, he, he's an old man to them. So there's going to be some kind of gap. I think LeBron is understand enough to know that Bronny needs to create his own path socially and whatever. And the social thing with young guys are different than it was when LeBron first came into the league, when the NBA was of the wild West in terms of before social media partying, going out. We all know guys in our experiences, Sherrod, that used to hit the club before social media. No one, you know, Pouring champagne on women, doing stuff that was terrible against the law, uh, getting caught with all types of situations. We all know these stories. They don't mm-hmm. exist as much anymore because of social media. And these guys have developed a new way to enjoy themselves. Sometimes it's just staying in the hotel, playing video games, or going to private spots. But the 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 thing I don't know if that would be as big of a deal as the path that LeBron. Junior will have to take to get to the NBA. Will he be a second round pick? Will he be rushing to declare because you know what? I just want to get drafted, and then someone is going to draft him. We all know this. Like he's not going to go undraft. Whatever draft he enters, he's not going undrafted. Yeah. So we all know that. So you know that whole thing will be interesting to see. I thought that was an interesting statement from LeBron. I think that's a good goal to have. A cool goal. But let nature take its course. Yeah. I want to talk about a duo on the East Coast that has been self-proclaimed as unstoppable. Joel Embiid (laughs) and James Harden after their win over the Knicks. That's what Joel Embiid described the duo as. But James Harden... some shade at that. Did you see that shade she threw there, Gary? You saw that? I wasn't throwing any shade. I was just trying to share what they said. Self-proclaimed. Yeah, because I'm not going to... I didn't want to opine on them just yet. Okay. But that is what Joel Embiid described in their post-game press conference after James Harden scored a triple-double. I found this fun stat, which actually was on ESPN earlier, that Harden was the first sixer to have 15 and 10, 15 points and 10 assists in one half since Iverson did it in 06. But when you look at that game um, Sunday afternoon against the Knicks, the two of them look like they've been playing Forever. It's the chemistry is undeniable. So curious as to what you two thought about the last two games that we've seen Harden and and be play together in. Well, the Knicks are the Knicks. I know it's the I know it's, they are the, the hot Knicks. mess of hot messes out there in the East. <laughs> so you have to put it in in, in perspective. In context, in context. Yeah. But they look good though. I mean, Joel and yeah. and it, it's not a surprise because Harden is a much better facilitator than he's ever given credit for being. Yeah. Uh, we know about his scoring. We know about the step back and step side and, and all the other different offensive, you know, tricks he's got in the bag. 
but he really is a good facilitator. And and when you've got a guy that can move the ball the way he can, and you got a big dynamic target like Joel Embiid, you're going to be very tough to stop. There's no, there's no doubt about that. But uh, again, I need to see consistency. I need to see, you know, Harden engage for more than just a couple of games here or there. Cause you go back and look at when he got to Brooklyn, he looked great. Those first few games. And his overall time there was, was a good one statistically speaking, but I'm not convinced this team is going to necessarily be better, not so much because of the addition of James Harden, but because of the subtraction of guys like Andre Drummond, which gave them a legitimate backup to Joel Embiid if teams wanted to get physical. And Steph Curry, and Steph Curry Steph's brother, one of the better low-key three-point shooters in the game. To me, those two losses are significant for a team that has championship aspiration because you lose your best shooter and you lose a backup big who, oh, by the way, is third all-time in NBA history in offensive rebounds per game. He averages four and a half offensive rebounds per game. Only two cats in the game who've ever played in the NBA have higher offensive rebounding average. Losing, and if, again, for a team that doesn't have great shooting, it's a tremendous luxury to have a guy whose strength is offensive rebounding. That means that with your weaknesses, he can help mask that weakness because of what he can do in offensive class. So they're great as a tandem. They're, they're going to get it done. But I don't, I don't feel as though they're necessarily moved to the top of the pack in the East or even to the top four. I'd say maybe third, number three right now. But again, is that going to be good enough to satisfy – Mm-hmm. That, that Sixers fan base to be the third best team in the East? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I, I, it's hard for me to t- see right now because they play two teams, Minnesota and New York. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they're a dynamic duo in terms of like their talent potential. And I think mm-hmm. they'll work better together once they work more together. Um, you know, like you said, like, is the, is the other shoe going to drop with Harden, will it be this season? Will it be next season? How much does Harden want to really make this work? I think he has to. I think at this point in his career, with his legacy, this one has to work. He can't blow through Houston. It didn't work out. Ask out of Houston. Okay, now I want to go play with my boys. And me, KD, and Kyrie are just going to take over the league. Then ask out of that. Now this is his third situation. So this one has to work. And I do think James will make a concerted effort to make it work. Um, And I do agree with Embiid. Like, I'm sure he's like, I've never played with anyone like this before who has been not only a a good assist man, but a serious scoring threat, you know, who can just drive into the paint, draw three defenders and just flip it up because Ben Simmons was not drawing three defenders. It was like, let him shoot. Just don't let him get to the rim. Yep. Um, you know, who can get to the free throw line 15 to 20 times a game. Ben was not doing that. You know, Seth Curry wasn't doing that, right? So I agree that it could be a dynamic tandem. I just want to see more. I want to see them play tougher opponents. I want to see them March 10th against the Nets. Uh, we'll see if if Simmons plays in that game. He ain't playing. You know he ain't playing. No, which is my next point. <laughs> I want to I, I want to see them, but so far so good. They're a very dynamic duo. Uh, they play well. It seems like they play well. They're getting along. But you know what? Harden gets along with everybody at the beginning. He's a he's a big, big guy, 
when it when it starts, then he gets unhappy. Okay, but what would make him unhappy in this situation? I think in New Jersey, sorry, Brooklyn, when I was dating myself, because um, I, I was around for that. I was around for the New Jersey Nets. Because <laughs> somehow, somehow the place, the New Jersey, just came to my head for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. Somebody's from, somebody's from Jersey. So Brooklyn, I I was told, I've been told it was the Kyrie situation. Like that ruined, that ruined everything. That ruined the the chem, the chemistry of the team, letting this dude pl- just come in and play in the middle of the season. That because Harden was not as close to Kyrie as KD was. Mm-hmm. And people tend to think that Kyrie has some kind of trance on KD in terms of KD going to management and saying, yeah. you need to let him play. And if we have to trade James, oh, well, let him go. Like people think like, what the heck you asked me to come here. And now I'm the one who's invested in this dude. Is it so, you know, mm-hmm. could you blame him for Brooklyn? Not necessarily because everybody knows Kyrie is a handful. So let's see what happens here. I'm going to wait and see on whether to anoint them the next Kobe and Shaq or whoever. Let's just calm down on these things. Kareem and Magic, let's calm down. (laughs) Dr. J and Malone, whoever we want to, how far, how soon we want to go in comparison with a big man and and a good guard. But I do think they're a dangerous team at this point because you have two dynamic stores who can both get to the free throw line 15 to 20 times each in a game. Mm-hmm. March 10th is a date you mentioned that we will be looking forward to because that's when the Nets will play the Sixers. Ben Simmons is reportedly dealing with back soreness. Steve Nash explained he hasn't played since June, so that makes sense. But when will we see Ben Simmons back? Injury aside, do you think this is a ploy to just procrastinate before no- March 10th or – do we think this could be a bigger issue? Go ahead, G. Um, <laughs> I don't think he plays in that game on um, March tenth. Uh, I just think that's that's nine. Eight, that's a that's ten days away now. He's got to ramp up, practice full time, full get himself really not one on one or. Uh, skeleton stuff or working out with the with the with the workout coach and, and all like I'm talking about like five on five getting up and down mm-hmm. the floor sweating getting trying to approach basketball shape why it why would you throw him into that situation unless he goes to Steve Nash and is like no no man I want to play don't see Simmons doing that I see Simmons coming back sometime in late March to get the team ready for the playoffs but do not see this happening in Philadelphia uh, in such a volatile environment. Him being – and it maybe being his first game back? No, yeah. no, it's no. Not, yeah. He would need – I think he needs a couple of more weeks, two, another week to probably get himself uh, his back right, and then he's got to start practicing, getting in the up and downs, all that, get his sweat up, get his wind up, get his heart rate going – then you could talk about maybe making a comeback. Yeah, he, he ain't playing yeah. March 10th. Yeah. Especially because it's in Philly. That's the, another, you talk about the physical on the floor aspect, but just the fans. I, I imagine the reason why Kyrie never went back to his old cities was 
because he was intimidated by the fan bases there. And I could imagine Philly will not be too pleased if he were yeah, returning I, I that arena. Yeah, I can't imagine what that's like being in an arena where literally every time you touch the ball, you're getting this this you're being serenaded with booze. Um, yeah. And, and and for him, it would be as as bad as it gets because of the, the this was not a amicable parting of the ways. This mm-hmm. wasn't we wish you luck and you wish us luck. This is like I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. And you know, Philly's like, okay, but you come back to the club where we at. Yeah. Well, we, we're, we're, supposed there, to, we're supposed to pretend that you in our club and we don't recognize you? <laughs> we, we got something to say. We're gonna let you we're gonna let everyone know you in the building. Yeah. Absolutely. And Ben knows this, which is why March 11th is the earliest that he'll be ready to play. He'll be playing, right? <laughs> the earliest, March 11th. They need to be honest about this stuff. But the, the, the biggest thing for me and just the whole Ben Simmons Harden thing is if he has mental health issues that were developed and, and, and grew throughout this process, get that squared away before you step back on the court. Make sure you get that part of your life in order because if you don't, then this whole trade is is worthless because yeah. that was, to me, from again, from the outside looking in, that was a big part of why this had to be done so that you could be in a space that is more beneficial to you from a playing standpoint, but more importantly, from a mental health standpoint. Now, there are some people who are not sure whether his mental health issues are legit. And, and, there's, re- and there's, I think there's, there's a healthy, there's a healthy skepticism about that, but I'm taking the position that it was real and that what he was that he, what he's feeling is legit. And again, that's why I don't want to see his ass on the court until he is comfortable with where he's at from a mental health standpoint, and that he can talk about that. Because to me, it's one thing to work through the process and get your life right, but be a benefit to someone other than yourself. Make sure that your story, your journey, the way that you've been able to manage this and get it to a point where you can return to work can be a benefit to someone other than your damn self. You're a point guard. Your job is to dish and and assist. Use this moment. Use your experience as an opportunity to amplify that part of who you are. That's what I want to see from Ben Simmons, which is why I'm in no worry or excuse me, no hurry to see him back on the floor. Uh, Because as soon as the trade was made, the first thing I did was looked at March 10th and I said, you know what? He's not going to come back until the day after that at the earliest. Because there's no way in the world that you would let that be your first game back. You are asking for the absolute worst case scenario being your front door. Why would you do that? Now, if if the the game were going to be in Brooklyn, eh, maybe, maybe. But I don't think I'd want that either because you better believe the first time James Harden gets a chance to go back there, somebody getting buckets. Right. Somebody is getting a lot of buckets. Somebody, their defensive rating is going to take a major hit from James Harden because he is scoring. I wouldn't be surprised if he dropped 50, 60 next time back in Brooklyn. He's that <laughs> good a score, and he'll be extremely motivated. And yeah. all that booing, all that booing at the, that the, that the even hear it. just feeding the beast. That's all That's they do. Music to his ears. One final thing as we wrap up, the Celtics are standing at six in the Eastern Conference. They're five games out of first place. We talk about arenas. Do you both think that the home court advantage will play a big difference for them no. this season? I don't no. think so. I mean, they're, they're, they're like one and a half games out of the fourth spot, which would get them home court in the first round. So th- mm-hmm. it's it's not that big a stretch to imagine them having offic- unofficially having home court advantage in the next week or so. But yeah. they've shown the ability to win, and frankly, anyone. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, they they beat Philly and Philly crib by thirty. And like, granted, mm-hmm. that Philly team is very different than the one different. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, the point being is that they have shown the ability to play in arenas that aren't f- team friendly to them and mm-hmm. win and win convincingly. They just had a seven game road winning streak snap. Uh, so. I'm not as worried about that. To me, the big thing for them, and Ime, he talks about this all the time, and it sounds like coach speak, but it really is the truth. It's the gospel. And that is you control what you can control. As long as they keep that mindset, they're going to be all right whether they're playing at home or on the road. Because if they control what they can control at a minimum, they're going to be able to compete and hold their own with anyone and everyone that's on the schedule. The difference is can they take it to that next level? Uh, I've, I've talked about this before. Their defense is elite right now. But the teams that they're going to see in the playoffs, they're going to be better than the teams that they've seen in the regular season. Not only because of the personnel being more familiar with each other, but there's just that – that and, and Gary, we, we've seen this through the years. There are teams that take it to another level come playoff time. P- certain players are better in the postseason than the regular season, and there's no rhyme or reason for that other than the fact that – The mental aspect of it. The, yeah. the pop scores pop. People are ready to see a show, and they're like, it's go time. Not everyone is built for that life. Uh, not every player has that that ability to flip that switch and become that type of player. Um, mm-hmm. The best ones are able to do it. And, and that, to me, is why if you're the Celtics, home court, it'd be nice to have. It's a, It'd be a luxury, but it's not a necessity for them to have success in the postseason. Well, I think if you're the Celtics, you're trying to target maybe more an opponent than you are a seed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the question is, who do you want to face in the first round? Because the way the East is, is shaking out, okay, it's you're going to have to face a, a, a major juggernaut. Milwaukee, Philadelphia, um, Brooklyn will be interesting to see how much they jump up. But Chicago, Cleveland, Miami, those are five teams ahead of the Celtics. Like, if you're, you know, every, I think 90% if we had a poll would say they want to face Cleveland. Okay. Um, but, but can you work that out to where you can face Cleveland? If not, you might have, you might have to face Chicago or what if Milwaukee slips, they're the third seed, you're the sixth seed or four or five. Like what you're going to have to do is prepare yourself for an opponent. At this point, the seeding, Really doesn't matter because you know you get one more home game. That's really nice, but you're not playing a patsy. This is not years of playing when the Celtics played Indiana a couple of years ago, the one eight or the when they you know like when they're playing playing a, a team they should beat for sure. They, they are likely to be the underdog, you know, because if you put them against Chicago um, or Milwaukee or Philadelphia or Miami. You know, those are four tough teams. Now, Cleveland, yeah, we wouldn't like to see Cleveland because it's their the inexperience. You never know what how they're going to look in the playoffs. And, you know, they've had some injury issues. But that's – who knows if Cleveland slips or not. And, you you know, that would maybe be a four or five. Because I don't know if the Celtics are going to get up to third. Okay, that's asking a lot. Um, four might be their best-case scenario. But if you get to four or five – you might be asking Milwaukee, Philadelphia, you know, but Cleveland's a team you're probably going to want to target. And then who knows if Brooklyn, do they move up to six? Do they stay in the play-in? Do they fight it out with Toronto? Like how all that shakes out? Because that's the whole interesting wrinkle in the East is that now Brooklyn's going to get healthy. 
They're going to dig themselves out because now they're, I think they're eighth mm-hmm. because Atlanta's, I know yeah. it's 10 and then Charlotte yeah. is ninth. Okay. And then eighth uh, is Brooklyn and seventh is Toronto. But Toronto, the thing about Toronto, the, the benefit of Celtics, Celtics have four more wins. They played four more games than the Raptors, and all of those are wins. Okay, mm-hmm. so Toronto would have to catch them, win four more games in the last 20 to catch them, um, you know, to, to get them. For, so you're trying to lock in, avoiding the play-in. You're trying to lock in an opponent like Cleveland. But with the unpredictability of what Brooklyn's going to do, What's going to happen with Charlotte? Charlotte slipping, Atlanta, like all this is crazy. So, um, as, as, as our 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 trusty admit, the Raptors and Nets play tonight, and you know tomorrow. So we'll see how that all that jumps off uh, over the next couple of weeks in terms of the Eastern Conference standings. But if I'm the Celtics, I ain't worried about home court. I'm worried about opponent. Do you want to play Giannis in the first round? No. Um, do you want to play Harden and Embiid? No, I would target Miami, and I would target Cleveland, and maybe Chicago because Chicago's vulnerable. I would not want yeah. to play Brooklyn, <laughs> Philadelphia, or Milwaukee in the first round. The other teams, I think you got a shot. Cleveland, of course. Chicago, you never know. And then um, Miami, I think they played Miami well this year, although they've had some history with Miami as not gone yeah. so. So. Seeding over home court advantage. Great. Thank you both. All right. So that's our podcast. Corey's like, <laughs> bye, y'all. <laughs> Enough has been said. <laughs> what do you two have coming up this week? Oh, goodness. Um, writing something for Ebony. Uh, I'll probably have some type of bleach report story. Not sure what that'll be yet. Uh, but definitely looking ahead to this stretch run and also have content on fullcourtpress.bulletin.com. Again, looking at this stretch run, this is a really important time uh, for the Celtics uh, to really start making some hay, really establishing who they are. Uh, And they've got plenty of opportunities. And and really, the the, I don't know whether it's a blessing or burden, but they're playing the kind of teams that they're going to have to beat come playoff time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Playing a team like Ja Morant at home, uh, coming off a loss is a type of experience that you're going to need to build on going forward because you're going to lose a game in the playoffs and have to play another a really good team mm-hmm. shortly after that. So yeah. just that experience, is, I think, is something the Celtics really need to learn from and grow from and make take advantage of these opportunities, not only in terms of trying to stack some wins, but just stack up some experience moments that can help them when the games really matter, and that's the playoffs. Yeah, um, following Celtics, obviously – Atlanta Tuesday, Memphis Thursday, Brooklyn Sunday afternoon. So it should be interesting games. Um, just going to keep following. And also the college uh, the college game is emerging. I'm going to say something to make Kwani very happy. The BC women. I uh, agree with, yes. They're good. They're good. They're good. They yeah. beat the breaks off Syracuse yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, Sherrod. That was uh, a good one for I didn't yeah. want to bring it up, but yeah, yeah, I, love, I and unfortunately we don't keep in touch with college things as much out here. But yeah. they're literally could make the tournament. I mean, yeah. they are they are uh, if not the on bubble. the bubble, I'll have to look up you know some some of the pro- pro- prognostications. But the BC women, you know, uh, so that the March Madness is is kicking in. 
Mm -hmm. And, and, and March Madness this year is for women and the men's sports the first time in history that that's been the case. So that should be an exciting break. Yeah, it's called March for Madness not for women, which I don't know yeah. why. Should have happened years ago. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's let, I mean, let's make up for lost time because it's a lot of this stuff is so antiquated. Right. I want to see though, um, uh, on a very serious note, I just saw young man named Preston Settles passed away. He was a young man in Newton uh, who collapsed playing basketball. Um, and and he passed away after a three-week stay in the hospital. And, you know, just a young man trying to enjoy the game, enjoy playing sports. And and it's just sad. And, and I just think we need to sometimes cherish life and cherish um, that nothing's promised and just be thankful for what we have and for each other. And I just wanted to give him some, uh, an honor and, and, and salute and a farewell. And it's, it's just a very terrible, it's a terrible tragedy. And, you know, it's just one of those things that we just take, we, we, we take everything for granted and we we're so critical of everybody and everything. And we go on social media and we go at people and all this stuff. And that's not what life's about. Like, you know, um, life's about, making sure that our loved ones are safe and that we say, tell them we love them and we tell them how much we care for them. And, and, and we do that every day and cherish the, the little things and the moments because I just saw this story and I followed, you know, what happened to him and that he was in the hospital, but he, he didn't make it. And um, I just wanted to, to give my condolences to his family and the community and, and just say, Hey, let's cherish each other because you just, you just don't know um, uh, what people are going through, what's happening, and 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 just you know, uh, that's all I got. Yeah, thank you for that. I just looked him up, and yes, that is a very sad story. But thank you for acknowledging him and condolences to that community of New and his family as well. Um, as for me, the hub today, I'll be on on Thursday. If you guys want to check that out at eleven thirty on NBC Ten Boston, but. That's enough basketball talk for the week. We'll be back here next week with the A-List podcast. I'm Kwani A. Lunas, as I mentioned. A. Shrod Lady, Gary Washburn. Thank you all for listening. And tune back in next week. <laughs>